You know it's funny. People on the outside don't really get what's going on. But they always got something to say. <laughs> yeah. What's going on, folks? This is Daryl, your host of Narratives Over Wine and Whiskey podcast, where we discuss issues that impact black and millennial communities while having a good drink. Today I have my newfound friend, Megan Langston, with me. So we're going to be chatting it up about foster care, um, life in Durham, life in general, um, and her business. She's an entrepreneur uh, and and really just has a lot of a lot of gems to to give us. So I'm really excited to have you on today, Megan. Um, thank we'll you. For with, me. uh, thank you. Um, we'll start off with your drink. What do you what do you have over there? Dugman's do a blended scotch um it's pretty good cool cool yeah uh, it's hard to find a good blended scotch but when i do i always i always try to keep a bottle of it so i will check that one out um, today i have evan williams single barrel vintage bourbon um, so i'm close to the end of this bottle um, but i've had it for probably about four months and it's a it's a pretty good bonded bourbon um I've enjoyed it so far. So actually today I went and I, um, you know, the ABC stores in North Carolina are all state regulated. And mm-hmm. so you can't get everything as readily as you can in certain other communities. But the good thing is the state actually regulates the price too. Whereas like if I, I got a bottle today that was like $25 and online people are charging 100, 150 for, for it. Oh, so, wow. Right. Because I mean, state, it's hard to get the stuff, but when you get it, it's actually a legitimate price. So that's the yeah. cool thing about it. Um, but then what happened is I get home, I'm hopping out of the uh, car and I dropped the bottle in the garage. Oh no. And it's a hard to find so bottle. Sad. It was, it was, but um, the guy knows me at the ABC store. And so he looked out for me when I came back in and- um, Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, so that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, what, uh, t- tell me about yourself. Well, I'm originally from a suburb of Detroit. So we actually used to buy our liquor right behind the counter. Speaking of the regulated by the state thing. (laughs) And now I wasn't of age when I lived there, but I remember, you know, my parents buying uh, over the counter at at Rite Aid or something. Um, So a little bit different, but I moved here when I moved to Durham, North Carolina, when I was going into high school. Um, but I consider Durham home since I've stayed here since then. Um, and I married my high school sweetheart. We've been married for about five years and I've been a foster parent for the last three years. Um, and in the past year, I started my own uh, coaching business. That's that's pretty cool. So explain like coaching, because I'm sure you're not talking like soccer and volleyball. Um, what yeah. do you do when you're, when you're working with clients? Uh, So I'm a business life coach, or I sometimes refer to myself as a business clarity coach, but I typically work with female entrepreneurs who have a side gig that they're trying to take to the next level. So um, many of them are working moms or stay-at-home moms that have a hobby that has either seen fast-track success and they need to figure out how to actually... um, structure it in a way that they can sustain it over time or they have an idea of of creating a business that can provide for their family and also give them the flexibility to to continue the other roles that they play like mom for instance 
that's great actually um i think sometimes people just need that guidance that push uh, that structure and strategy and it sounds like that's what you're providing to to women who are in need as well as you know the general community but specifically having that niche market of hey this is mm -hmm. what I'm, this is who i'm trying to serve and yeah i have tools that are applicable for everyone but ladies this is this is how you can really step to that next level so yeah now you say you've been a foster mom for three years now Mm-hmm. that's right how'd you get into that um so my husband and i met a couple at my church they were fostering and that was the first time we ever heard about foster care and honestly we heard at the same time that there was a big need in durham county for foster parents and we thought we had space in our home and in our hearts and so we just said why not we're sort of um quick decision makers in that way i think you know it's at times that it has served us well at other times maybe put us in a tricky situation but this is one of those that i absolutely do not regret that decision to become a foster parent and plan to continue to do so for many more years so how many um children have you been able to foster so far uh, in the last three years, we have only had three children in our care during that time. And two of them that are with us now have actually been with us for the last two and a half years. So we had a younger child, a baby for a brief period of time. And then the two children that are in our care now have been with us for, for about two and a half years. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm sure that, that, you know, that stability of, of even that time of not bouncing from place to place has been very helpful for for them as they try to grow. And I don't I know that um, I have some friends who fostered before, and I know there are you know restrictions on what you can and can't share. But about how old are they? Uh, the kids that are in our care right now are three and five. They're siblings and typical boys. They're very into rough play, um, <laughs> puddle jumping. They're obsessed with dinosaurs right now. Um, and they're in preschool for a couple days a week and then home with me the other time. That stability at this point in their life, especially you now, these are our years where they're transformative and and they're really just soaking everything in. So I'm, I'm sure this is much better than, you know, being in a place where you, you don't know what's next or what's coming next or, or who you can count on to have that stability of two and a half years. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we might talk about this in a bit, but, you know, one of the challenges that children in foster care face are, you know, maybe experiencing some trauma from abuse or neglect, but it's often not discussed the trauma they experience when they come into care and they are no longer living in a home that they're used to. They're separated from their, their birth families and now they're living somewhere completely strange. So yeah, if you can create as much consistency as possible for them, that will help them have a more normal childhood experience. Definitely. So three years, you're not a, um, you're not a, a rookie anymore. What has been, <laughs> we'll, we'll start with the, start with the good. What's been the greatest reward of being a foster parent? That's a great question. I was actually talking to my husband about that recently, and we, we actually had different answers for it, but I think that just goes to show that there's a lot that you can gain from this experience 
experience, he was telling me about how the impact that he feels that he's making on the children. Um, and I actually was thinking more about interceding for families that are in crisis. Um, you know, knowing that oftentimes people who are lacking resources needed to care for their kids, their biggest uh, stressor is probably worrying for their children and what's going to happen to them once uh, they're taken into to care. So feeling that we can provide a home that's safe and connecting them back to their birth families and letting them know that we're going to care for them like they're our own has been probably the most rewarding piece of that. Um, now I will say nothing worthwhile comes without sacrifice. So there's definitely a lot of challenges that come with it. Um, but I feel like the more we sacrifice and give, the more of the reward that we feel of the, that impact that we can potentially make. I heard you say, you know, working with the, the families and things like that. So, or, or, or kind of, you know, being that, that stability so they know, hey, your child is in a safe place. Has that relationship, have the kids been able to maintain a solid relationship, you know, and the parent know, hey, wow, this is the person who actually cares about my child as much as I could. Yeah, for, for us, we've been really intentional about maintaining the relationship with, um, our boys' uh, biological family. And that I think has served um, everyone well, um, uh, both encouraging the family to continue to pursue reunification with their children and also the kids having that sense of, you know, they were raised by a lot of people. So that's one approach I like to take is remembering that it does take a village and we're just one part of that community that's raising these kids um, and their biological family still plays a very important role in their life. So we try to prioritize that as much as possible. That's something I remember from um, our first meeting. You know, you said, you know, the kid's going to be able to say I was raised by a lot of people. And that's really cool because it gives them more perspective um, and it gives them perspective, gives them a an understanding that there's more than just these people who have my blood in me that care about me. So that's, that's a really cool way to put it. Yeah. I think in our, in our country, like our culture is so independent. Um, we often miss out on that community experience that I think, um, our children and our families would thrive in if we as a community worked harder to support one another. And that would possibly even prevent a lot of these kids from coming into care in the first place. I'm going to run back to my my follow-up question I had. So we said the, you know, the greatest things that you and your husband found. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've you've come across? I think the by far the biggest challenge is the lack of certainty. Um, you know, for our kids right now, they've been in our care for over two years and they still don't have permanency. And when I say permanency, I mean either they've been reunified with their birth family or they've been adopted. And that has not happened for many reasons. Um, our court system isn't doesn't move as fast as one would hope. Um, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic didn't make any things better in that sense. Um, but 
just so much uncertainty for the kids and for us as we plan, you know, our family and what it's going to look like in the future. There's been a lot of letting go of that and not, and just trying to live in the moment uh, for them. So I'd say, I'd say that's the hardest. And then of course, accessing the resources that we need to care for kids who may have experienced trauma um, is a challenge. It takes some real commitment to reading and educating ourselves to know the best practices as a parent to, to support them. The system that, you know, is functioning, but not always working for everyone. What mm-hmm. changes do you think would, would be advantageous for all parties involved if we're going to make a better foster care system? Oh, I have so many. (laughs) (laughs) I think if you talk to any foster parent or anyone a part of this, um, yeah, a part of this system, they probably would talk a lot about the changes that they would like to see. And of course, there's no blame that really needs to be placed on any one party for it. I think it's just uh, there's a lot of challenges that every person in this foster care system faces to make it the way it needs to be. But I'd say the most important to me is, so let me, let me go back and say many biological parents, they don't have the resources that they need to work the court ordered plan to get their children back. So of course, there's a need for more foster parents in our county, in Durham County, and many places around the country. But the greater need, I think, is the support for biological parents and their ability to reunify with their kids and accessing those resources that would prevent their children from coming into care in the first place so that we have less children in need of a foster placement to start. Um, I think that means more collaboration between social services and our churches and our nonprofits that help families in crisis, places that will support permanent housing, jobs, support for single moms, support for teen uh, moms, addiction services, mental health services. These are all things that our social services need to be more robust and more connected to the organizations that are already providing these needs in the community. Um, If we can start to facilitate that and build up these parents who um, maybe are lacking in these resources right now, I think that would completely transform the, the system. And we won't have children in care for over two years. You know, they will more quickly be able to reunify with their family um, or their parents will feel empowered to make other decisions for what their kids permanency that it sounds like even though none of us have all the answers you have a very uh, good starting point for our at least our community social services to go ahead and hopefully be able to run a, a pilot program that can be adopted in different communities because if we were to provide the resources to the parents who um had to be separated from their children, then guess what? We would be able to reunify them more quickly. It seems like an easy fix, right? It seems like um, something that is doable. We just have to find, we have to get our elected officials to put those resources behind behind that idea. Yeah, it's 
It's something I'm working towards. I would love to change the system from the inside out. I think if you're someone who's listening to this podcast and you're interested in um, foster care, I had a lot of people ask me before, you know, I'm not ready to be a foster parent or maybe I'm not in a life position that I can foster a child, but how else can I be supportive? And whenever I get that question, I say, foster parents, we don't need your support. What I want you to do is look into your neighborhoods, know your neighbors and be willing to support the families that are around you that are in need, because those are the ones that are maybe not yet their children are in care. So just be more in tune with our community and what the needs are and try to meet those needs before um, these children are in a position where they can't be cared for in the way that they deserve. That's good stuff. If you had to, because I'm certain that there are listeners on here who are thinking about fostering children one day. If you had to give them one piece of advice, what would it be? I would let them know that it has been the most difficult thing I've ever done, but also been the most worthwhile. And if you're even considering it, I would just say start the process. Um, There is a very rigorous process of becoming a licensed foster parent now. It it used to be, if if you know anything about foster care, if you have um, certain negative connotations in your mind, it's because there was a big shift in Uh, the foster care system in the 90s across the country to try to eliminate people who were abusing um, the foster care system for the benefits that the state provides as a foster parent. And so when that change happened, the process of becoming a licensed foster parent became very rigorous. So if you're thinking about doing it, you'll know you'll have to take classes, Um, home inspections, interviews, paperwork. And so if you're thinking about doing it during that process, I think it will be made very clear to you if it's something that's going to be right for you and your family. Um, That was the case for us. We took the class and during that time we learned what it was like to care for um, kids in crisis. And it was really affirming for my husband and I that that was something that we had the capacity to do. And so, yeah, I would just encourage you to take the step. And then I think I'd also say, talk to someone who is already a foster parent and hear about their experiences. So if you don't know anyone, I would love to talk to whomever about this topic. Um, you can find me on Instagram and I will be happy to chat with you. I also post a little bit about my experience on there as well. So um, and actually, uh, I'll jump ahead. How can they be in touch? With, how can they get in touch with you on Instagram or whatever other social media? Yeah, I think Instagram is probably my primary place where I uh, I check and spend a lot of time on. It's it's just my name, Megan underscore Langston. Um, you can find me there. Send me a message. I'd be happy to talk to you about that. And, um, her Instagram tag will be in the uh, episode notes, so you all be able to easily access, click it, and get straight to her profile. Be in touch. Um, so, final question: You're stranded on an island. It's you and your husband. Rest of your life, you got everything you could want. One lifetime supply of wine or whiskey. Which brand would it be? Oh man. Um, well, we were talking about before we, I think before we started recording today that I'm a new whiskey drinker. So I'm thinking about it. I love my dry red wines, but I'm more of a 
not going to lie, more of a seven, eight dollar uh, bottle <laughs> kind of gal. Um, and I don't know if I could do that lifelong. I think I would definitely choose one of the whiskeys that I've been enjoying is um, the Four Roses. The, the, the small batch select is really quite good. I thought you didn't know what you were talking about. I know, but I've been dabbling. Yeah, yeah, that's a really, really good one. Um, My buddy James put me on to that small batch. I I keep a general bottle of Four Roses because it's great for making cocktails. If you ever want to make an old-fashioned or anything. um, Yeah. It's a great cocktail mix, but the the small batch is actually well-crafted. Like the sipping, yeah. It's a a good one. Okay. Okay, Yeah, I, I feel... I feel pretty sophisticated when I'm just <laughs> drinking it neat. Yeah, that's, a, um, that's a great, great choice. Okay. So I really appreciate your time today. Uh, I don't want to take you away from the boys and the mister too much. You know, it's Friday night. So, you know, maybe pizza or movie or something. It's a movie. That's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> same here. Same here. Hopefully I'll see you sometime soon. Okay. Thank you so much for having me on today. Cool. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in today. As always, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Narrow Podcast. That's N-A-R-R-O-W Podcast. Additionally, we love reviews, constructive criticism, feedback, and any topics you'd like to hear in the future. Thank you for your support. Catch you again next week, same time, same place. Peace. The Narratives Over Wine and Whiskey podcast is a subsidiary of Daniels Development and Branding, LLC, here for all of your fundraising, creative direction, and storytelling needs.